Fears podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I'm sharing a delightful conversation that I had with musician, mystic, astrologer, Jonathan Coe, also known as Nate Chi, about the multi-hyphenate path. So that's having multiple callings or vocations. We discussed mutable astrology alongside this, the mutable signs being Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces and other spontaneous avenues of conversation that you would expect would come up when talking about mutable energy, the energy that is the most adaptable and flexible. We covered things like the myth of Persephone, the difference between ego and persona, and rewriting the myth of the tortured artist. Deepening our connection to the mutable archetypes and their wisdom can, I think, be permission granting to all of the kinds of adventures that are available in this earth experience when we don't limit ourselves to being or doing a monolithic one thing. There are other mythos around the productivity or the efficiency of the one thing, but we are not necessarily wired that way. Um, And you might feel that in your natal chart or just in various personality tests or Enneagram or a human design, like you may have the feedback from different self-exploration that you are someone who is more of like a pollinator type or likes to do a lot of different things or likes to be stimulated, um, who likes novelty. Like there are types of people that are maybe not wired for the monolithic path. We might also be in certain phases of life that aren't really wired to be that way. Um, Like an example of entering college and it's your freshman year and you don't know what you want your major to be yet or something. And so you take some different classes to experiment Um, or even like the transit of Saturn in, um, you know, through the first house relates to a time that is the beginning of a 30 year cycle where we're kind of like planting a lot of seeds. We might have a lot of opportunities come into our life and we can try a bunch of different things. And over the coming years, as Saturn moves through the different houses, some of those seeds will sprout and take form. So sometimes we're even in a phase in life that could be more dynamic or experimental, or other times we're given so many opportunities at once that We feel uniquely compelled by a good number of them. And instead of turning down a bunch of them to only do one, we have a a kind of knowing that, okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to juggle these things. And there might be some amazing synthesis or insight that comes through juggling multiple things. All the same focus and devotion, which are maybe things we associate more with the the one thing, um, these things are wonderful, but energies like devotion and success do not only come by the myth of the one thing, and sometimes we need that reminder. And if we really break it down, if we do apply our focus to such one thing, it often opens up a diversity of many tasks 
I think most professional astrologers, and I'm just speaking from my own experience, are multi-hyphenate, for example, because it's a job that you have to self-create. It's not um, structurally designed already, like it's not um, a conventional job. So it requires some development of other skills like business in that sense, um, as well as things potentially like counseling, if you give readings, writing, if you create content, uh, navigating the internet and social media, public speaking, like these are all things that you might develop alongside the astrological craft itself. So you say you're an astrologer, but you're actually all of these things. So perhaps instead of asking the question, am I doing something wrong or stretching myself too thin by having all of these different interests? We might ask how our interests connect to one another. How does one pool that I dip into energize me for the next? How is my life dynamic and stimulating because I allow myself to be more than one thing? And if there are still hangups therein, we address some of them in this episode and I'll leave you to our conversation now. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hi, Sabrina. Thanks for having me. So to get started, um, I want to ask you what multi-hyphenates are. I learned about the term from you. So just like what the you know, standard definition is? Sure. So it's usually a term that's used for folks who do a lot of different things. I also kind of have a creative way of defining it, um, which is that to me, it's the experience of having multiple citizenships in different and sometimes um disparate realms so for example you know this term is used a lot for if you're like a singer songwriter actress and astrologer let's say um i feel like to me especially with regards to multi-hyphenates not just as like a way to be in the world or a career path necessarily but in terms of how it feels to the soul I think that there's a very unique experience, maybe not unique in a sense that it's um, it's different than other people, but I think it's more unique in a sense that it's not something that people talk about. And also, I think that there's also um, with multi-hyphenates, there's a sense of being able to speak different languages in the different realms that they occupy. So for example, you know, someone who is, very uh, well-versed, let's say, in science, but then also is an avid um, student of spirituality, would have a very different way to describe spirituality than a person who is only studying spirituality, if that makes sense. Yeah, that actually, with astrology, I think a lot of astrologers are multi-hyphenate then in that sense, because they're um, astrology is really well lent towards collaboration with other fields. Definitely. And I think with astrology specifically, there's so many different ways to go about your astrology studies, right? I'm also an astrologer slash astrology student. And I feel like for me, it's so interesting to be in community with different astrologers who approach the 
discipline in such a different entry point than I do. And also it's really interesting to see how, for example, someone who is trained in creative writing would have a totally different um, setbacks than setbacks that I have from my experience and my past in life. So speaking of that, what do you consider yourself a multi-hyphenate and what are the citizenships that you occupy? So I would say the umbrella for me is definitely an artist slash creative. I primarily, I would say that probably my primary identity is as a singer songwriter. Um, I release my music under my moniker, which is also my childhood name, which is Nate Chi. So that's probably where you will see me on Instagram. I also work um, as a data scientist um, professionally. And prior to that, I was trained as a classical pianist. So, and then now I'm also, I guess, you know, I'm still kind of sheepish about it, but I am, I think that I'm also definitely a mystic and, um, I am dabbling in astrology, in tarot, and in energy healing as well. How do you see these different fields like intersect for you personally? That's a great question. I think for me, it's there are a few different threads that I see um, in my own path, which is that um, there's definitely like the sense of and and you know I, I'm. I'm sure that my chart also speaks to this. I think some of these fields are, um, there's like a dream element to them. Um, there is an element of consolidating what is numinous or kind of what is this big um, perspective and then trying to speak to it or communicate with it in a way that's understandable. So like, for example, for me with music, there's a sense that, and I, I'm, I'm sure this is not for every musician out there, but for me, um, my primary goal is to describe my emotional landscape and sort of my experience. Um, and so combining music and lyrics to me, like songwriting is not really about just the words or just the music. It's like the marriage of both. And so I think even in that, you know, which is, I would say music is kind of my earliest interest. Um, and probably the, the one field that I'm most proficient in, I think there's already that kind of, um, melding of both, um, the emotional and the technicality because music is one of those fields too, where, I don't think you can really perform music or share music effectively without having a certain baseline of um, proficiency with it. It's a little bit like language. If my grammar is not good, then it will be difficult for people to understand me no matter how potent or how wonderful my ideas might be. Right. And then I think there's also an element um, of and maybe this is personal, but I think to me, it's like this idea of like this Alice in Wonderland um, adventure, right? Of like, just really kind of following my curiosity. Um, I think that all of them are connected by symbology and kind of this idea of like, even in data science, right? Like there's this idea of um, the symbol being kind of like, 
not the thing in and of itself. It's not like, for example, I would contrast it to the pursuit of law, right? Where law is very much like about the actual words themselves. Although I'm sure there's ethics underlying it and, you know, et cetera. But with the stuff that I'm doing, I think there's um, a more explicit attempt to try to understand what's beyond using the vocabulary or some sort of agreed upon system that's already um, kind of codified, if that makes sense. That makes beautiful sense. <laughs> Is it okay to talk about your placements? Yeah, absolutely. I really feel Mercury in Pisces with that because you're talking about the numinous with intelligible language. And I was in a conversation recently with some astrologers around how Mercury and Sagittarius and Mercury and Pisces are often like present with poets, musicians, astrologers, or that there's a lot of musicians who are also astrologers. And mm -hmm. what is it about the, like what binds or like what's in common between music and astrology? Like I'm not a musician, so it's hard for me to like say from a place of experience, but I just see that correlation where it's like, there's a musicality to astrology. We talk about harmonics of the different aspects and there's music theory. So I see a kind of like, you can get very theoretical about astrology and music, but both of them also involve feeling as like such a strong component. Definitely. And I think also it's this idea of um, using symbols, right, to come up with something bigger than the symbols themselves. And what that represents um, is very present in both disciplines. So for multi-hyphenates, what do you think is like challenging about that um, in society in terms of what, you know, what we're conditioned to be like to consider as valuable or like the best path to be on? Absolutely. I think that um, there are a couple different ways we can go about discussing this, right? I think probably the first entry point before I answer your question, I would probably preface it by saying that in my own path, right? And first, I, I guess it's probably important for me to name kind of where I came from and also where I'm at with thinking about this, because this is definitely still something that is in progress for me. I, um, I am assuming that this will kind of be in progress for, a, you know, forever for me, like throughout my life. But where I'm at at the moment is, um, it's definitely kind of an unfolding and I'm kind of like in the middle of it. I always kind of feel in the middle of it, but where I'm at right now is, I really feel like it's important for me to re to claim this identity. Whereas before, throughout my life, I've always just kind of felt this um, fracturing. Like it's almost like, you know, why is it that other people know what they want to do or um, they have access to be able to do what they want to do? And it seems like they go on this very smooth path. Whereas for me, it seems like, there has been a lot of jumping around and in the process of jumping around, not only do I learn, but I seem to also gradually become more proficient at things. So I would say that the biggest challenge is that um, there is this idea of like one 
way of doing things or like you know if you are someone who's serious about music let's say you just follow the path of music you know and that is not only are you going to be judged based on how good you are at playing music but you're also going to be judged by how dedicated you are to music and especially as someone i one thing i notice is that a lot of multi-hyphenates are artists and so i think in a lot of the arts you know there's also this very um i would actually go as far as saying that it's a very toxic idea of like this torture genius that yeah. if you are not, you know, like really toiling away at your craft or you're not suffering for your craft, that you are somewhat less dedicated to your craft. And I think that that's part of the challenge because it's important to I, I don't think that there is one. The one thing that I know for sure is that a lot of multi-hyphenates do not have one path. So like, if you talk to different people who are like, let's say, singer, songwriter and accountant, right? You will find that all of them, even if they have the same titles or they claim the same titles, they might have very different life paths. Like how, you know, you get to one thing versus another thing. And it can be, um, you know, it's... Oh, let me just put it this way. It's never boring, right? To hear about like how we got to where we are. Not that anyone's life is ever boring, but I think there is a sense that um, to me personally, um, I felt like there's, there were, there were forces that were, that kind of felt like beyond my control that propelled me into journeys of realm jumping or this adventure of realm jumping. Some of them are kind of internal, right? For me personally, it's like there's this strong desire to be seen, this feeling of this kind of Uranian misfit um, vibe, right? And also like a longing to really understand underlying truths that are sometimes not available if you only study one thing. And then beyond that, I think there's also the external, which is um, like we need to make a living, even if you are super passionate about your art, like you may have to develop skills that um, like Saturn is a real thing, right? Like you have to pay your rent. And so I think there's this um, amalgamation of different forces that propel you to become good at different skills, sometimes willingly and sometimes unwillingly. I love this. Um... Yeah. And in terms of having to make a living, like, what do you think um, in terms of that with having a passion or something that you, you know, want to be doing and what kinds of, because that was also kind of having me think about the skills of either monetizing an art form and having to learn business skills, essentially, and not just be the tortured artist who, mm -hmm. or the struggling artist, or the possibility of having another job. What do you think um, about either of those? And in terms of having another job, like how to select a job that doesn't detract from the other endeavors that one cares about? Yeah, I think that if you, so 
you know, if you if, if we start talking about being a multi-hyphenate or sort of this realm jumper figure, that's a term that I got from Aaron Shipley, by the way, realm jumper. I mean, I'm sure somebody else has said it before, but it was her usage of that term that really kind of um, felt like it was very resonant for me. So I feel like, you know, if you are in this path, you can treat it like it's really your soul path, right? Like this idea of... Um, allowing yourself to reclaim your wholeness through the pursuit of different paths. So to answer your question, I think that having grounding is super important. So grounding, you know, we all, we often talk about grounding or centering in the sense of um, meditation. And I think that can absolutely be really important for people who are jumping from one realm to another, but I think that grounding can also be maybe certain relationships in your life or having a source of income that is um, readily available to you, right? So one thing that I have personally encountered in my journey is that I think that by the po- by the time that I was supposed to, and I'm doing an air quote here, right? When I was supposed to really make a living, I have not yet felt like, my creative calling and my creative pursuits were at a point where I felt ready to kind of go big with them. There were pathways that were available to me um, where I could make a living, but somehow it didn't feel generative and it doesn't, it didn't feel like it was um, a path that was going to be good for my soul. And so And, you know, at the same time, there were other skills that I had that I was able to develop that then enabled me to um, to freely explore in those other paths. And I think that's a really important point for people who um, who chose this path of embodying mutability while staying grounded at the same time. I think it's really important to. At some point, you know, you you kind of have to pay the admission price of wanting to pers- a pursue different things, right, and b pursue them in a way that feels soulful to you. And so, you know, I think that in terms of finding a, a maybe a day job, you know, that works for you. Obviously, everyone is really different, but I think there are two things to think about, right? One is um, how good are you at it? And, you know, this is kind of a very Saturn question, right? Because I think sometimes there are natural gifts that maybe we don't always accept for ourselves because it doesn't fully align with our self-image, but it's actually something that other people perceive. So for, for example, for me, I found that early on in life, um, it was really easy for me to kind of present myself as this very analytical person. For some reason, that was something that was um, really valued. And I guess I, I, I still feel a little bit weird saying this, but I think people kind of see me as being dependable for doing something like that. You know, like it's, it's a skill I could market and a skill that I could use in this capitalist framework, you know? And, um, I would say that if you feel like you're a multi-hyphenate and you do have these, these, these different sites, 
the key is to really not limit yourself to your own understanding of what your path is going to look like, or even what your path, the right path, right? Air quotes, the right path here is even going to feel like, because that was what tripped me up for a really long time, which is I had this image in my mind about the kind of life I want to live. And I'm honestly, like, I'm still building towards that image, but it's also really important to understand that even if you have to do something else that doesn't necessarily fit into that image, as long as it's in integrity, it doesn't mean that that path is not going to teach you something really important about what you think of as your primary path. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's beautiful. What are some of the archetypal connections that you've made around multi-hyphenates and archetypal languages like astrology, but not limited to astrology? Sure. So I think, you know, Mercury is obviously a uh, um, Mercury Hermes archetype are very potent, right? It's, I think I would definitely, anybody who's a multi-hyphenate, you know, in terms of your job in life or in terms of what you feel like your soul is calling you towards, I definitely highly recommend um, looking into Mercury, looking into Hermes. Um, to me, Hermes is kind of like the, um, the messenger between different realms. Right. And so I think it's really, to me personally, when I encountered this archetype, it felt really liberating because it felt like I didn't have to be part of one realm or the other. One of the challenges that I personally have always, um, encountered is the sense of like not belonging not belonging in one realm or the other, and then feeling really lost in the translation. But I think as I study more about Hermes, about Mercury, my own Mercury placement, it really kind of helped me um, claim this in-between liminal space, right? That where I feel like I really belong is in this... Um, laboratory where I'm kind of mixing different elements, right? And creating something new um, that is really potent and really special. And actually I think can resonate with a lot of people because it's not just derived from one thing. Um, also, I think, you know, this idea of a multi-hyphenate or mutability in general, you can, um, you can make that definition a little bit wider too, right? It doesn't always have to be vocation. I happen to have um, my moon in 10th house. So then <laughs> I feel like 90% of my life is spent thinking about my vocation, my work, but I'm sure this can be extended to other things as well, right? Mercury is also known as the gender neutral um, archetype, also known as um, the the God that, you know, easily moves from the, um, from the human world or even the God world, right. The Mount Olympus to, um, the underworld. And so this idea of being able to easily move through different worlds, right. Is I think very applicable. Another archetype that I've been thinking a lot about is actually Persephone, because as I said before, for me, music, for example, really came through as kind of this dream, right? This um, desire to communicate beyond what I was able to um, 
beyond the words that I was able to um, string together, right? There's a way in which when we are making music, it's um, like communicating using using non-words, right? And so I feel like for me, it was really important to kind of escape to this other realm. And music became my healing um, modality as well as what I hope to help people heal with. But then there were other things like, for example, my foray into data science and I actually got a degree in economics. That was kind of a force beyond my control, right? So the archetype that really came to my mind was Persephone. Because Persephone, there are different versions of the myth, but in the Hellenistic version, Persephone um, was Ceres' daughter, right? Ceres really loved her daughter Persephone and they kind of had this really beautiful uh, relationship. And one day Persephone was abducted by Hades into the underworld. And um, Persephone kind of became this character who was in the middle of um, warring forces, right? So Ceres was very mad, you know, spoke to Zeus and then Hades was also there in the equation. And um, then she was kind of forced to, it's not clear how she felt at that moment. You know, her own feelings were kind of not really spoken about. And um, to me, like where this speaks to the multi-hyphenate path, you know, is that there can be a sense of like having been taken out of your comfort zone into learning something new. But then in the continuation of the myth, Persephone also became the queen of the underworld. And so it's this really interesting dichotomy, right? Where she was taken against her will, but then she mastered the language of the underworld and then became this figure that was um, really powerful. And so, and then, you know, in the in the older version of the myth, there was actually no Hades. And it was just Persephone saying, what about these dead people, mother? You know, like, I, I think that somebody should welcome them into the underworld. And so there's also this um, ambiguity around whether it's your um, personal desire to enter a certain realm or not. And I think this is really important for multi-hyphenates because... The question I struggled with for a long time was whether this was the right path or not. But I think if you are a multi-hyphenate, I would really invite you to kind of expand your imagination and really start focusing on the idea that the path is the path and that your primary job is to live it rather than to mythologize about it. You know, like there's this concept I think that we can get so stuck in, in this culture where we like to know, we live our lives as if we are the biographers of our own lives, you know? And I think what the Persephone myth and all its complications really taught me is this idea that, um, that maybe it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter how you got to where you got, because ultimately what matters more is your stewardship, you know, like how you approach the situations in which you found yourself. And yeah, I can speak more. I feel like, you know, the mutable signs in the 
Wheel of the Zodiac is something I also think about a lot. And I think it can also be very, very helpful. Yeah, my I was just going there too, because the mutable energies, I feel like they have a strength in adapting and bringing in Persephone as that image around kind of like a descent. And was it a chosen one or did it happen? But who cares? <laughs> it's like how you steward the process. Um, feels like a surrender into like the soul and how the soul wants to embody. And I feel like there's an interface between the soul and the ego. And if we have really rigid ideas of who we are or how we need to box our lives in some way, then it's harder to steward because we're trying to kind of control the process. And I think that the mutable signs have this cleverness and flexibility that allows them to really cross-pollinate between different fields, realm jump, as you and Aaron are saying. And um, there can be a diffusion to that that I think is the struggle. And I think that the, the idea of doing one thing and focusing everything on one thing, like I don't know who even suggests that anymore, but I feel like I received that messaging um, somewhere. But then I, I think in like an investment context, even no one would suggest investing all one's money into one thing, right. Or don't put all your eggs in one basket. So there are other messaging that are like, you know, diversify your interests, um, or how you invest your energy. Um, what, what do you think about the mutable signs? Like if you want to get into some of them specifically. Sure. I would just quickly comment on what you said, because I think it's very interesting around investment. This idea of diversifying is very much, um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of discussions or debates around whether that's the right approach or not, but it's definitely um, one of the prominent ways of thinking, right? But it's interesting because I think our economy is really built on this idea of comparative advantage, where, for example, you know, if I um, were really good at hunting and you're really good at um, picking mushrooms, right? Then this idea that the economy or the tribe can really only flourish if I focus on hunting and you focus on um mushroom picking, right? I mean, that's to kind of put it in a hunter-gatherer um, analogy, but I think that that's still how we treat our society. And that's still the kind of foundation on which our society is built upon. And so it's prevalent, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's um, the fact that we had to study all these different subjects in elementary school and then we studied a little bit less in high school and college and then as an adult we're just supposed to be doing this one thing right it's like this whole idea of kind of this narrowing down into one thing and i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing i think it's really important to um stay grounded also in the reality that if you put in time towards something, that's how you become good at it. Right. But I think the part where it becomes problematic is like we were saying before, you know, this idea of, um, that there is one path and that you are supposed to know what that one path is and that you're supposed to just go through that. So, um, to go back to the mutable science, I think that for me, um, 
and I'm sure it's not just me, right? But here are some of the things where I think we can really learn from immutable signs. Um, so the immutable signs are Pisces, Virgo, Gemini, and Sagittarius. Um, first, I would say that mutability, uh, part of the part of what I think is challenging with tapping into mutable energy is because we have a difficult relationship with mutability as a society. I think often we relegate mutability to either times of crises. So for example, right, if you lose your job, then you have to be mutable and you have to adapt and you have to learn a new skill, right? Or we relegate it to what I kind of call the waiting rooms in life, which is that, you know, for example, if you um, had a year right after college where you don't want to work, then you develop all these other skills to kind of make ends meet. But still, you know, there's this closeness. I think there's proximity to um, crisis and we don't use it when we don't have a crisis. And so I think that that's why I also, I mean, for me, learning about my own chart and learning about the mutable signs have really helped because um, it asks you to really be critical about the ways in which you're using your mutability, right? And what are some of the ways in which you can actually achieve something or maybe even manifest something with um, mutability? So Pisces, I think, really teaches us about how we have access to the numinous and intelligence that is beyond our logic, but that that comes with the admission price of leaving our ego at the door. So I think in order for us to really tap into um, this true, you know, kind of pure Piscean intelligence, right? You have to let go of your idea of who you are, you know? And I think, um, one of the one of the quotes I love is actually from Rilke, who said that, you know, sometimes the answer to paraphrase here, that the answer is not available to you because you're not yet able to live it. And the point is actually to live everything. Right. So I think Pisces teaches us about this because in that um, process or, you know, at that point of leaving your ego at the door, you can really access a way of being that is much more in flow, much more pleasurable, and also just less stuck in general. Curious to hear your thoughts about that. <laughs> I mean, I love Pisces. <laughs> I'm biased, but I guess we both are. Um, yeah, ego is interesting because I... I've spent a lot of time dreaming up my ego identification, like the two years I spent method acting that I was a number one New York Times bestseller. And that's like, that is an ego construct, but it was a fantasy. So by choosing a role to play that came from a place of fantasy, like I got to experience something that was beyond another ego identification. Cause part of why I did that was because I hadn't, I actually, I did write a novel when I was like 12 or 13, but it wasn't, it wasn't at the same scale. So 
I was kind of just disregarding it of like, whatever, <laughs> that was my 12 year old novel, <laughs> but like, um, I hadn't written one before. So how am I supposed to write a novel if I don't identify as a novelist? So I came up with the ego structure. Um, so I think I have a lot of experience of, of playing with ego and even because of that, some resistance towards ego dismantling work. And now I'm actually involved in some more processes around ego dismantling and it, it's deep, magical kind of stuff. It's a lot of like examining thoughts and judgments and, you know, disentangling those, like being able to recognize them instead of just being in them. Um, I think, I think Pisces too, like that being connected to the numinous means that we're not attached to reality in a conventional way, um, which opens up more possibilities. Um, I think like, because I have a lot of Pisces in my chart, I have received that reflection from people of like, you give me a sense that there's possibilities. Like I just, even like growing up, um, in school, I just didn't really like feel a resonance with a lot of the mythology that we were being like inoculated with, if that's the right word. Um, and I wasn't prepared to like go to school to get a degree and something I didn't care about just to make money and to have a certain kind of life. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't feel that pressure internally. And I wasn't even, I wasn't receiving that pressure from my family. So I would see people just like stressing out, like pulling their hair out, just like freaking out. And when I would talk to them about it, like I just could kind of feel like they were on the one hand intrigued, charmed curious that I wasn't attached in the same way to that matrix, but I could also feel that they weren't willing to like, let go of it. And maybe that was their own kind of karmic path, um, or whatnot, you know, like for me, it wasn't like a struggle that I had to go through. <laughs> like there's right. stories about like corporate people that like have a spiritual awakening and like go to the forest and like quit their job. And I just, I don't relate to that because I was never part of the corporate world. So I think because of having all this Pisces, there's just a lot of ways that I like didn't ever kind of get into the conventional way. Um, so I think my understanding of ego sometimes is a little bit <laughs> different, maybe. Absolutely. I think, you know, you pointed out to a really beautiful um, idea here and concept, because I think to me, what you were saying earlier about method acting and kind of putting on this um, self-image as a writer, while we can categorize that as a, categorize that as ego, I think of that more as a persona almost, mm -hmm. right? I definitely had to do the same when I was writing my first record too, because I was trained as a classical pianist. And while I've always been writing songs pretty much my whole life, there's a sense of having to tap into something that I did not have easy access to, or I wasn't trained in that. Um, yeah. But I think I would probably, the concept you, you just, um, you just explained to me, that's more persona to me. Ego kind of has this extra flavor of clutching of like, oh, okay. I want to kind of, be this thing. Right. And I think that's, um, obviously there are many different 
um, definitions of ego. But I think for me, that was really the ego that I was um, referring to, you know, this kind of clutching. I love that distinction. Um, what about Gemini? Because that has me thinking about like Gemini as this chameleon or shapeshifter or even like a salesperson. And so even like the fluidity to be able to play with persona involves being able to take on a different affect or different mannerisms or uh, speak differently, which I think is like a Gemini faculty. Yeah. I think the word that comes to my mind with Gemini is divine curiosity. It's this idea of, I think Caroline Casey uh, said that we don't have to believe in anything, but we have to entertain the possibility that something could be real. Right. I think that that's kind of at the crux of the Gemini energy. I don't think she was actually referring to Gemini, but to me, that quote is super Gemini, right? Because the Gemini energy kind of in its pure form really is open to entertaining the fact that there are perhaps multiple reality or that one reality can be dissected through different entryways. Um, and in some ways, you know, it's, it's really interesting because sometimes Gemini really kind of gets this duplicitous um, reputation, but I think that actually there's a lot of truth in that, right? Because a lot of the times reality is actually both and it's not either or. And so I think um, really kind of coming to this humility, right? Of, um, the fact that we are able to access different things at the same time and that perhaps our path is always kind of unfolding, right? And I think the other thing that's really important to mention about Gemini is the curiosity piece because I was just recently uh, listening back to Elizabeth Gilbert's wonderful book, um, Big Magic, which I love so much because she was kind of really... Um, Describing this way of making art that is almost anti-oppression to me, it's like about this idea of really distancing yourself from um, what we were talking about earlier, this tortured artist mentality, right? Because this tortured artist mentality is not just in terms of, you know, artists like starving artists, right? But also like this way of making art, which is so stuck in like, um, suffering, yeah. you know, and that you can't really make art unless you're suffering. And so I think with Gemini, um, what we can really learn, I think for multi-hyphenates and for everyone in general is this idea of, you know, that you can be all of these things, you know, and that while sometimes excellence is important or proficiency is important, dabbling is also really important, you know, and sometimes you develop proficiency through your curiosity just by being exposed to something for a long enough period of time, you can be really proficient at something. And I think the Gemini energy can really help because rather than putting this unrealistic expectation, right, of having to be excellent, you can instead really gauge how much or how far you want to go into one field 
based on how curious you are about it. I mean, that's how I even end up, you know, talking to you right here, right? Because I don't think when I was, you know, I've always been interested in all kinds of mystical things, but I never really thought that I would take astrology seriously until I kind of had um, a bit of a rude awakening, you know? And so I think that being open to the possibility that your curiosity can lead you somewhere really exciting and meet really exciting people is um, what we can really learn from Gemini. I'm curious to hear your thoughts or anything you'd like to add to that too. Yeah, I that just kind of feels like a breath of fresh air because I do think that if we were to overly prioritize being excellent, that what happens is that you're actually very strong in a few things. And then you feel like a baby or just like inept at other things. Um, And that psychologically we will rest on our strengths to avoid confronting our weaknesses. But if you have the curiosity and that like lightheartedness and don't feel like you have to be amazing at everything you do, you free yourself to dabble and build skills and build adaptability in places that you wouldn't if you needed to be the best at doing it. Um, I feel that like, even just being on YouTube, like I was not confident about speaking out loud, but I got better at it. And it's like, my YouTube isn't like high tech, but I just don't like have the energy to make it high tech. So it just is what it is and it works, you know, but it, I don't put the pressure on it. Another thing is that I am really like passionate about that idea about, deconstructing the tortured artist myth, because when I was growing up, um, I, I recognized early on that writing was something that I was good at, but my models of who writers were, were like basically dead people who often were not discovered until after they died, who lived a very hard life or, you know, who were depressed, um, maybe even suicidal. And, I just, I think I knew pretty early on too, that I didn't want that. Like I wanted like the kind of glamor and excitement that I saw in like Hollywood, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not a good actress (laughs) and that's not my path, but like, how can I combine, like, how can I bring glamor to writing? Um, I also like had a, a pretty significant moment of like, realizing that I was jealous of musicians because they could enchant like a room. Like I would go to performances and be like, I want that power. (laughs) Like I, you know, like, which is kind of like, I'm sheepish to admit that, but I mean, Pluto and Scorpio, what can you say? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I just felt like the mythology that I had of writers to draw from was that they were depressed like Saturnian, isolated, like misanthropic people, like out in a cabin somewhere. And I just wanted to be a good writer, but have more of the life of a musician or an actor. So it kind of changed like how I, you know, think about writing. And I also had some pretty influential writing mentors give me the advice, um, that you can negotiate with the muse. Like you don't have to let the muse wake you up in the middle of the night and have like madness be the pattern, like be the mad and tortured artist. Um, 
because I think that, you know, my early forebays into like writing communities, there was that conversation kind of going on about like, how do you relate with the muse? And I remember even writing someone just like, what is the muse? Like, and someone explaining to me what that was. Um, and hearing some people have this relationship to it that was just like so devoted that they didn't have personal boundaries. Like they'll, you know, it wakes them up versus telling the muse, like I'm going to write every day at these certain hours, or like I write the forecast every Saturday. I don't have to be inspired. It just happens. Cause I'm like, that's the setting. That's like the contract, you know? And I think that if people don't know that, then you can easily fall into this morphic field of a bunch of other writers or tortured artists who had no personal boundaries and like bought into a depressing or like life denying kind of myth. Totally. I think so there are two things that I would like to point out that that's also really Gemini. One is this idea of cross pollination that you mentioned, like having this dream of being a writer and maybe you know, also like being rooted in the understanding that you have a power with your words that um, is beyond maybe the folks around you, right? And wanting to really be on that path, but then also cross-pollinating the dream with, you know, more of that um, electric persona, right? That you see from actresses or from musicians. I think that's very Gemini. The other thing also that I think is great is you mentioned this relationship with um the the muse and i think that gemini is also about kind of opening that line of communication rather than having the muse just be kind of this like atm machine right like giving you stuff you know when you don't want it or you don't even know like when it's going to come and then um having a very servant like attitude so yeah, definitely. I think that both of those can really help as well in um, in really claiming your path as a multi-hyphenate. Mm. Do you have thoughts on um, either Sagittarius or Virgo related to this? Yeah, I do. So I think with Virgo, it's about restoring right relationship with work. Because to me, Virgo is really about getting out of your own way very similar to Pisces in that sense, right? But I think with Pisces, it's more about accessing what is beyond. Whereas with Virgo, there's this energy of kind of just taking it one step at a time, you know? I think unsubscribing from the idea of what is important work versus what is unimportant or menial work is also Virgo work. I'm a Virgo rising, and I think one of the biggest learnings that I've really had to reckon with this past year is how much I subscribe to this idea, right? Of like the work being attached to a certain level of maybe trauma, you know, and how can I work in a way that's clean, that is focused on the work rather than focused on my own feelings about the work, you know? And I think to me, the real key is to understand this idea of stewardship, right? Like we are given things in our lives, right? Like we're given this body, we have our emotional capacity, we have our energetic um, bodies, even like literally energetic bodies. And so how can we um, 
see this act of maintaining sanity, right? As kind of like a daily devotion. I think that's really important. And for me, for example, just to get practical, you know, in the spirit of Virgo, right? One of the things that I've been trying to get better at is when I'm pivoting, like for example, after I'm done with my day job and I'm about to make music, it's really important for me to kind of really take the time to sit down and, you know, close that chapter, right? And I think as a multi-hyphenate, especially if you are, I mean, multi-hyphenates have different levels and I think all kinds of variations are totally valid and all kinds of proficiency in the different things that you are engaged in, it's totally valid. But I think if you do want to do it with a certain level of reverence and maybe even um, not in an oppressive sense, but excellence, right? I think you do need to kind of cleanse your slate of one thing and then come fully present for the next thing that you're doing. So I think that that to me is very Virgo work, right? Like sometimes I love writing songs, but I would say that, for example, figuring out mic placements when I'm recording at home, that's not necessarily my forte. And that's not really something I really enjoy doing anyway. But, you know, understanding that that's all part of the work and that there's sacredness in the work, even if it seems mundane or if it's if it doesn't fit with your idea of who you are. Because I think a lot of multi-hyphenates really think of themselves as very creative. I mean, I can definitely attest to this, you know, um, being very focused on the creation aspect rather than the um, maybe some of the more detailed aspect of refining things. I think that's really, really important. Also, one last thing I would add is this concept of discernment versus self-criticality because i think it's easy you know when you're a multi-hyphenate to compare yourself with others because what's what often happens like for example in my own journey what happened was it took me even though i was always really interested in singing it took me a really long time to even get a voice teacher and i i have no idea why why that is you know like it's so weird it's this you know, thing that I've always really loved doing as a teenager, but then I stopped myself from doing it. And when I started to get really serious, it really kind of opened up, you know, a new way of accessing music that is much easier for me. And so I think um, we can learn from the Virgo energy, this idea of like putting in one foot in front of the other and not worrying too much about kind of where you're going to end up. That's so beautiful. Um, I, I've just been meditating on this concept this last week around closing the chapter between different moments. Um, especially, yeah, like different things that you're doing throughout the day so that you have energy to just like pivot as opposed to carrying residue from the last thing into the next. Mm -hmm. um, I also love the idea of finding the reverence and like placing the mic. <laughs> I feel that way. Like when I first learned astrology at, you know, evolutionary astrology specifically, and like got deeper into a relationship with all the archetypes, I 
became better at like cleaning because I recognized that it belonged to the matrix of wholeness of like everything else that like my mood was connected to my space being beautiful and that I might not, I still don't really enjoy cleaning, but like when I do it, um, there's a like positive consequence that comes from it. And so the act of cleaning is kind of getting into that acknowledgement of, I might not really like doing this activity, but it's part of this holistic thing that I'm creating in my experience or other chores or errands that I don't want to do. Um, and feeling the magic come from that. And yeah, what about Sagittarius? To me, I think, so Sagittarius energy personally is something that I, um, I feel more distant from, right? So this is something that's very new to me. And I think um, I'm not going to get, you know, too far into why that is because we'll be here forever. <laughs> but I think to me, what's really important about Sagittarius energy is committing to the practice of recognizing your own truth. And the components to that, I think some of the components it's included, it includes, but is not limited to acknowledging our privilege and blessings, acknowledging oppressive systems, acknowledging our own personal agency, and also acknowledging the fact that the truth is always kind of this unfolding thing, right? That we don't always have access to what we call the truth at one point in time, that it's kind of this 360 experience. And I think that that's to me, like this idea of really skillful Sagittarius, right? Like, on the one hand, being dedicated to the pursuit of truth, but then also not get dogmatic in that pursuit. Um, I think recognizing that there is a myth aspect to the arrival, right, in the hero's journey, that that is potentially a construct, you know, that maybe we're just in this journey for the rest of our lives. And that's part of the beauty, you know, the, the, the key I think is in the search and in the process of getting better and not in the thing itself, because the thing itself can change, you know? And at the same time, I think going back to your earlier question about what kind of day job is, you know, supportive for someone who is a multi-hyphenate or someone who feels like their life path is still unfolding. Like perhaps, you know, you're an artist and you feel like you still need a bit more time to hone your craft. I think it's really important to approach, you know, the different path that is available for you, which, you know, in this internet day and age is really, I mean, it's just endless, right? I can learn anything I want at my fingertips. It's really about checking in with self about what feels true and what feels like it's a calling and not actually the other day I was talking to my sister about this, the difference between dream ambition and curiosity. And I think the glue, you know, to really kind of unpacking that is the practice of recognizing your own truth, which I think is very tied to developing intuition um, and developing 
a way to recognize when you're out of alignment with what is your truth. Hmm. Yeah, that, that reminds me of like the image of the river that's never the same river when you step into it. And mm-hmm. Sagittarius being like mutable and related to truth, but that sometimes the way that people engage truth, it becomes dogmatic and we can use rationalizations to create evidence or build a case around a truth instead of being in touch with that river that's changing. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I also felt you kind of drawing in both the cosmic side of Sagittarius and the very like social worldly, like political side of Sagittarius. And that both are about order in the cosmos, but like one is more terrestrial and social and the other is more like, and it's just interesting to see how, um, how to hold both. Right. Or like, the ways that people can get really blasted out with their spiritual ideas where they deny or create stories around social realities that are out of touch or being so enmeshed in the social realities and the 3d that you lose touch with the, the beyond and like that skill of being able to navigate both. Absolutely. And I think with regards to spirituality too, right. I think it's really important. I mean, this is not, maybe like the most appropriate container for this. So I'm not going to go into crazy depth, but I think it's important to sometimes understand that again, right. It's like the both end of things, you know, it's the idea that yes, you know, there may be these um, forces, right. That are maybe outside of what is being, what trickles down into what we call mainstream media. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't deny the reality that, you know, oppressive systems exist, you know, and what I think that part of truly developing your intuition in a healthy way has to do with holding both this idea that we are all playing into this idea of oppressive systems and also we have personal agency, right? And that they don't have to be this either or thing. And in fact, it's always kind of a dance between the two of them. I feel like, you know, that's something I'm still fleshing out. And I feel like a lot of us in this space um, are really thinking deeply about this. But I think it's really, really important. And I think it's important to not negate the truth of both, you know? Yeah. Because I think if you are someone who is very attuned to all the ways in which systems can be oppressive to people or certain groups of people, you can then spend all your energy forgetting that there is personal agency. But then I also see this other side where everyone's just saying, you know, oh, certain people are lazy or that, you know, oppressive systems are constructs. They are, but they are constructs that also affect people's reality. Right. Yeah. In a very physical Saturn, like real way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm just thinking a lot like about glitches in the matrix (laughs) right now, because of that's the forecast title that I just put out, but uh, I was careful to define the matrix because I don't want to get like into 
like some way too far out disconnected land, but just the idea that there are these kind of social rules and physical laws and physics. And there's these kind of ways that we can negotiate with them um, through magic or psychology or thought work. And that it's a negotiation that there's a dance between them and it's not just one or the other, Mm -hmm. but make the matrix glitch. Where it just glitches on its own at times like this. Totally. Um, so how did your Saturn return experience influence like your thoughts on your path and kind of aligning these multiple interests that you have? That's a great question. I think I would probably start with just saying that um, I have Saturn in uh, Capricorn. And I think that I probably have to, you know, come clean with the fact that I think that when I when I see other people's Saturn return, I have a relatively, I wouldn't say easy, but I think I was really prepared for my Saturn return. Um, there are a lot of things that, and you know, this is where I would just you know, acknowledge my blessing, you know, or my privilege, because I don't think that that's the case. Like I have never really gotten to a point where it was like a complete halt for me, where I can't create something or something really, really traumatic happened to me that, you know, maybe involve the death of a family member. I didn't have to deal with any of that. I had other things to deal with, but um, I would say that my Saturn return was for the most part, very productive. It felt like being called into the principal's office and then having a very heart to heart, but also very sobering discussion about how to move forward. What really happened during my Saturn return was I actually realized a childhood dream to release my music. And through the process of releasing my music, which I thought um, was kind of going to be this um, really transcendent experience, like this idea of like the dream coming true, I realized that actually there was still a lot of work to do. And that kind of... um, I spiraled into a bit of a depression, but I think really beautiful things came out of it. I developed a very steady meditation practice. I started out um, attending a transcendental meditation training session. I don't really practice transcendental meditation anymore, but I would say that TM really helped me establish because in TM you're kind of Um, asked to meditate twice a day. And so it kind of, you know, instilled a habit in me of really putting time and putting effort and allowing myself to really take care of myself. So I think that that's a very important thing. The other one was um, I found astrology during my Saturn return. I mean, I have always been interested in astrology. I was always reading about astrology, but I just had this really kind of intense magical experience, which was that I started um, reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Um, And then I started journaling because that was kind of one of the things that she asked us to do in The Artist's Way. And through journaling, I kept having recurring dreams about my grandmother. And in one of the dreams, it's funny because whenever I have dreams about my grandmother, she was never actually speaking to me. Like I never see her open her mouth, but it was kind of like this transmission of message. And the message was for me to kind of get a birth chart reading. And so I did. 
And I found an astrologer who is uh, one of my astrology teachers as well. And my, um, my lunar living teacher, her name is Britton LaRue. And then later I kind of found out that Britton and I, and my grandmother and Julia Cameron, we all share the same birthday, which is March 4th. So I would say that my Saturn return has been about materializing the wishes and the potentialities that were there in my life all along. So it was like this effort of really putting out my music, right? Which I thought was going to be, you know, I was going to feel like I was on top of the world. And there were moments where I felt like that, but there were also moments where I had to confront my own attachments to that idea that then crumbled away and then helped me find disciplines that put things in perspective. And then I remember also, this was, I, I believe, on probably my exact Saturn return. I had a reading with you in which you told me something about my Gemini moon that was really, I mean, I, I didn't consciously think about this, but apparently this was something that was seeded and then, you know, kind of became a thing, which was, you mentioned, you know, there's I think my prompt, you know, to you was around feeling really fragmented about my vocation, about my work. And then you mentioned there's um, a way of looking at it in which, you know, you have to just eventually choose one path. Right. And then another way of looking at it is that in the process of developing these different paths, you actually emerge as a whole person using these different paths. I'm paraphrasing here, but I feel like that was really, really important. You know, it became a really important uh, part of my journey with my Saturn return. Oh, <laughs> that's so nice to hear. Yeah, I wonder, that's kind of making me think about the difference between maybe it's like Jung and Hillman but mm -hmm. Jung has this idea of wholeness and like an essential self and it's very solar. And I think he's a Leo. And then Hillman talks a lot more about sub personalities and like different parts of self and the kind of ways that they don't all necessarily cohere into one simple whole self. Um, and that one psychology is about wholeness and the other is about multiplicity. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just learning that was mind opening for me because I think that a lot of us get the idea that psychology is about wholeness and being one specific person when we might also feel stimulated and alive by having a lot of different parts of ourselves. Yes. Um, well, this has been so wonderful to talk with you. Um, and I'd love to know for everyone listening, like how people can find you and connect with you. Sure. I think the social media that I spend the most time in with is Instagram. So um, definitely check me out over there. I'm over at Nate, um, Nate Chi, which is N-A-T-E and an underscore Q-I. Um, that's my music project. And you can listen to my music anywhere you listen to music, really. Um and yeah, I mean, I'm thinking in the future of offering um, birth chart readings. I'm relatively new. And so, you know, if anybody would 
you know, would be interested, um, definitely DM me. I'm still not, you know, completely structured yet. I still, you know, that's my Saturn in Aquarius homework right there. But yeah, um, or, you know, just start a conversation. I share a lot of my thoughts on Instagram. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to do more of that. I am all about that. I love your ideas. Um, and you're also really great with chart delineations. I think just the approach um, that you bring to life and your perception and your knowledge of astrology put together, like you, you have a very unique voice. Um, so people should definitely get in touch with you. Thank you, Sabrina. This was so delightful. I <laughs> always love talking to you, but this was amazing. Same. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I would love to hear what you think, um, what it's like for you juggling multiple things um, or what came through in this episode that you found inspiring. You can find us on Instagram. I'm at Sabrina Monarch. Jonathan is at Nate Chi. And um, I'll leave those in the notes as well. Oh, it's at Nate underscore Chi. I just checked. Um, but I post a graphic telling people about the podcast. So if you find that, you can leave a comment there and tag us. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a little bit and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review. If you take a screenshot of your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, take a screenshot before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I will send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. It includes a few videos um, and lectures of mine on this topic. If you're newer here and you haven't heard my astrology forecasts yet, you can find them on this podcast. You can find them on my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch. You can also read them at monarchastrology.com or sign up for my email list and have them emailed to you every week. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a beautiful week. Bye.